Welcome to the IQEQ CFO eLab. I am pleased to welcome you today to our new studio. As the private equity, real estate, and private debt sectors continue to evolve, we understand that the role of the CFO is transforming into a more vital one than ever before. In these unprecedented times, CFOs are asked to act as the central hub by serving as key players who drive value and business performance by finding new ways to deploy innovative solutions that will bring operational efficiency, as well as to help managing partners and CEOs gear the strategic direction of the firm. With this in mind, we have launched a series of online masterclasses provided by industry experts. Topics such as the new Singapore VCC, the evolving role of the private fund CFO, and the impact that ATAD2 BEPS will have on Luxembourg-based private equity funds have already been discussed during the course of our webinar series, and the video recordings are available on our website and via our podcast channel at iTunes and Spotify, in case you missed out on those sessions or would want to refresh your memory. What differentiates this program from others is that for each session, a technical expert speaks alongside a private funds expert to share their knowledge on a particular topic. This is followed by a detailed Q&A session. We hope that this format allows you to gain insights into both the technical and practical sides of the theme discussed. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into the latest EU regulations on sustainable finance in the form of the taxonomy regulation, which entered into force last year and which seeks to combat greenwashing and also the sustainable finance disclosure regulation or SFDR which will take effect on the 10th of March of this year. The SFDR aims to enhance transparency through the integration of environmental, social, and governance matters into investment decisions and recommendations. These will place new disclosure obligations on asset managers at both the entity and product levels. The SFDR will have an impact on all fund managers based in the EU, as well as fund managers managing capital raised in Europe even if they are not based in the EU, and regardless of whether the fund manager has an ESG investment strategy. Now, to help us navigate these developments and to share expert insights on how these regulations will impact upon your business and what CFOs need to do to ensure compliance, we are delighted to introduce today's industry experts. Our first guest is Catherine Martigan, a partner in the funds and asset management team of the Baker McKenzie Luxembourg office. She has more than 20 years experience in business law. Catherine represents managers of private alternative funds and other financial institutions. She works on a range of corporate and commercial transactions and restructurings and related regulations and fund formation, M&A, asset dispositions and capital raisings. Catherine is a member of the executive board of the European Association of InRev and the supervisory board of LuxReal. She's a recognized thought leader in a number of topics, including ESG and impact investing. Our second guest is Michael Moldener, managing director and conducting officer of Nordea Investment Funds SA, the Luxembourg management company of Nordea Asset Management. Michael joined Nordea in 2008 after several senior roles in the Luxembourg financial industry. Throughout his professional career, he gained strong expertise on governance, sustainability, and product-related distribution aspects of the asset management ecosystem, and is actively involved in the industry through committees and working groups. 
He holds a law degree as well as an executive MBA in private wealth management, focusing on responsible investing. Now, before I invite our first guest to take the floor, I'd like to highlight you can ask questions at any point during the presentation by using the questions box in the panel on the right-hand side of your screen. Our experts will then take your questions in a 15-minute Q&A session at the end of the presentation, in exactly half an hour from now. I now have great pleasure in handing the virtual floor to Catherine to get us started. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure to be with you today to discuss about the new regulation about EU taxonomy and SFDR that will affect asset managers in the coming years and starting right now. The SFDR is a terminology that you have become very familiar over this month of February. Taxonomy may be a term that is not so uh, well known for the time being, but soon it will also become very common for all of you. This is no surprise that these topics are particularly of importance today. They follow the ESG development and uh, are an expression of the public concern and also the companies, its stakeholders and the investment manager concern about how our global uh, planet is coping with new challenges. So we will see that there has been a huge problem that has been identified. So a huge problem at the European level is simply that there is a major gap that has to be fulfilled in terms of investment to achieve the target for Fed set for 2030. And there is no other way to achieve those targets than to involve all the actors of the private industry, starting with the investment managers. So this is the purpose of the two regulations that we will discuss today, the SFDR and the taxonomy, because they will impose more transparency on the asset managers and in such a way, it will foster this trend of taking into account sustainability risk when it comes to asset management. If you look at this timeline of the ESG for last year, there has been so numerous consultation by the various institutions of the European Union. It has been a full year. It has coped with many themas, from benchmark, low carbon emission uh, targets, uh, taxonomy, uh, the SFDR, the disclosure about pollution, environmental concern. Every aspect is uh, appraised in deep details. So it arrives today with the implementation of FSDR and taxonomy. So we're going to see what are the uh, main uh, elements of those two regulations. So SFDR. SFDR is a regulation that uh, is coming into force on the 10th March of this year, 2021. What it is about? It is a new regime that uh, requires new disclosure to be integrated in information provided by asset managers. We will have to disclose how these sustainability risks are integrated by those asset managers when they are carrying out their investment businesses. So who are the persons that are concerned? We have the financial market participant and we have the financial advisors. So in terms of entities, they are the same, but it really depends on what kind of activities they are doing. 
So mainly, if we are talking about IFMs, usage management companies, investment banks, or other advisors in the, scheme, in the schemes of pension funds, they will be targeted by this regulation when it comes to portfolio management activity or investment advice. What are the requirements uh, of disclosure in respect of FDR applicable to asset manager? First, it concerns their website. They have to publish on their websites the policies that they have adopted in terms of management of system regulatory risk. They have to disclose how and to which extent they have taken into account those principal adverse impact that may occur when they deliver portfolio management uh, activities or when they are delivering advice. They should also disclose their remuneration policies. This is of major importance that the uh, managers of the asset managers are taking into account those system related risks so that they are uh, incentivized to um, implement them in an efficient manner. That's one of the main goals of the regulation. They also are required to disclose pre-contractual information. So basically, when we will target investors, when we're going to submit a, a product to investors, we have to disclose to them what kind of sustainability risk are taking into account and how they shall be implemented during the lifetime of the fund. This could be in the prospectus when it comes to the fund. It could also be at other level when it is uh, about an IEFM. So it could be in the disclosure requirement of Article 21 or any other uh, regular report that the IFM is providing to the investors. What is interesting about this new regulation is that to a certain extent, it gives some flexibility. It's about complying or explaining. So there is still a possibility today to say that the asset manager are simply not implementing any sustainability risk in their approach of investment or advice on certain investment. But then they have to explain why. They have to give a clear and concise explanation about why they do not consider those risks when doing their activities. On the opposite, if they decide to do so, then there are two levels of explanations that they can give. Whether they only take into account those criteria and they should give some element of measurement and uh, uh, description of those criteria, or they should go further and really decide that they want to manage those sustainable risks to have an impact on the investment decision or the investment advice that they are providing. So what is next? The next st stage is certainly to update the documentation. Should it be the documentation of the managers themselves at the level of their website or their uh, documentation to the investors or the uh, documentation of the fund themselves? So when it is at the level of the fund, for those that are regulated, there is a special fast-track procedure that has been uh, offered by the CSSF. So by the end of this week, on the 28th of February, you would have to provide the updated PPM only in respect of the FSDR requirements. And then you could have a chance to be approved before the 10th of March. For the other funds that are not regulated by the CSSF, we have to take into 
account the fact that they nonetheless have to be compliant by the 10th of March. So even if there is no approval by any supervisory authority, this deadline is the one to be taken into account. On this slide, you will see the list of the adverse sustainability indicators that have, have been identified in the European regulation. Of course, they cover the uh, normal areas that we all know about. So environmental and climate-related issues, such as greenhouse gas emission, energy performance, biodiversity, waste, water. It also covers other area of the ESG. So the second area, this is social and employment with uh, those related matters, human rights, anti-corruption and anti-bribery to cover the governance aspect. The second topic today is the taxonomy regulation, which is on the establishment of a framework to facilitate sustainable investment. This regulation entered into force on the 12th July 2020. It put in place the framework for the EU taxonomy by setting out four overarching conditions that an economic activity has to meet in order to qualify as environmentally sustainable. First, it has to contribute substantially to one or more of the environmental objectives between climate change mitigation, climate change adaptation, sustainable use and protection of water and marine resources, transition to a circular economy, pollution prevention and control, protection and restoration of biodiversity and ecosystem. It does not significantly harm any of the environmental objectives set forth above. It is carried out in compliance with the minimum safeguards and it complies with technical screening criteria that have been established by the Commission. Taxonomy regulation will allow asset managers to gather reliable, consistent, and comparable sustainability-related indicators from in-scope investing companies. It will be able to incorporate this data into both the investment decision and risk management process, but also to full, fully disclose uh, their obligation in respect of ESG disclosure regulation. The EU Commission published two annexes setting the climate changes mitigation and adaptation settings, setting forth the technical criteria to be fulfilled by the funds and when they are marketed by their asset managers. The annex to this taxonomy regulation are really lengthy, deep technical analysis of each of the criteria that have to be considered when one is assessing whether an investment activity is effectively contributing to any objective of climate change mitigation or adaptation. Even though the description of the investment activity is the same in the two annexes, the criteria are different depending on the environmental objective, whether it's mitigation or adaptation. The criteria are burdensome rules and sponsors will have to abide by them marketing investment investment vehicle, whether they contribute to climate change mitigation or adaptation within the meaning of the EU taxonomy. They will have to raise the attention of the investors when designing the ESG impact strategy of their funds once the delegated regulation will be enacted. 
So this is another step that we are waiting for from the Commission. So we have seen that these two regulations will have major impact on the way asset managers are conducting their activities. They are very technical and they are going more and more into the details. But it is for sure that it is also what the investors are expecting in the future. So it will have uh, a large impact on the asset investment fund industry, but certainly for the best. Good morning, everyone. Also from my side, I'm Michael. I'm the Managing Director of Nordea Investment Funds, and I'm glad to be speaking to you this morning. Thanks also to Catherine for having taken us through the regulatory developments when it comes to how taxonomy and SFDR are going to impact the asset management industry. Now, if we basically start off, because I actually would like to give you, instead of talking about further regulation, give you a bit of an uh, insight as to how it is from a business perspective. And when we take the, the regulations as a starting point, the first question that basically appears to me is, are asset managers at a crossroad right now? And that question actually comes from the fact that investment and uh, asset managers, they have to take a decision because regulation is forcing them. And they can actually take two extremes or something in between. Let's look at that maybe. And one side of it or one extreme is actually you decide, or asset managers decide, to be just the compliant provider, meaning you fulfill the regulatory requirements, but you do not go beyond. Whereas on the other side of the scale, the other extreme, is actually that you want to be a fully integrated ESG provider, or an ESG poster child, as sometimes referred to. But as I said earlier, I mean, these are two extremes, and there's a lot of in-between, which we sometimes call, actually, the 50 shades of green, but please don't get me wrong, green doesn't only mean that we're talking about the environmental, the E side of the ESG spectrum, it basically is just a kind of uh, illustration that there's also quite a different a variety of different areas that you can actually take care of. But if we take that as a starting point, and we might come back to that at a later stage, let's probably also have a look at what is it basically the sustainability theme is actually right now and what is actually the background. Because we all can probably agree that uh, it has moved quite a lot. It has moved from niche to mainstream and that is not only something that has been spurred by the regulatory agenda, but it also is something that has its roots in the mindset of investors and the mindset especially also of asset managers. And here what you see now on this slide is basically four different boxes that I try to, where, where I try to use certain kind of fields and topics in order to illustrate what basically drives sustainability right now. We talked already a lot about the regulatory focus. Regulatory focus, I will not go into further detail, is however needed because uh, there is basically financing demand from the private side. Pub uh, public sources alone will not basically serve the purpose. But let's not spend too much further time on that. I actually would like to spend a bit more time on why is it actually so that there is so much demand. And in order to understand where the demand comes from, we actually can look a bit at what is currently happening in the industry. And when you look, for example, at recent research, Morningstar, for example, is actually publishing some data on that on a regular basis. Then you can see that actually assets in European sustainable ESG, there's a quite variety. But in these kind of funds, 
actually has peaked now at more than 1.1 trillion euro. That has been a huge success, especially also last year when you look at the flows there. I mean, that was tremendous. Uh, about 230 uh, billion uh, of new net flows came into these kind of products, which basically means that there is a demand and this demand is not going to stop. It's actually expected to grow even further. But what does that mean for us and our industry? I guess for us and our industry means that even though we have already a set and a palette of products that is actually meant to meet the demand of the investors, there is further development needs when it comes to new products, re-engineering products, or actually designing new concepts that can be wrapped into products that can be then made available to investors. But this kind of product design and development also has some current, at least, limitations, one of which could, for example, be the data challenge. I will not want to spend too much time on that right now because we are going to talk about that in a minute or two again. But data in itself basically will be one of the driving forces in order to get new products out. Do you have the data? Can you get reliable data? And what is the cost of getting data? That is one essential element. The second essential element of future product design and development my opinion is actually the ability of asset managers not only to comply again with the regulation and disclose in a transparent manner as to how the uh, regulatory demands are actually met by the investment processes we are designing but also how can we basically also implement these processes in a meaningful way because at the end we all have this and that's what brings me to my last box we have a societal responsibility even though i think personally it's a shared responsibility. It's a responsibility not only for the asset manager to provide the products, to take with their investment decisions the approach of focusing and fostering actually sustainability thinking, but it's also the investors. And the investors, they care. The investors, they want to see impact. And this is what is an essential element for us to be also authentic in the industry. Now, when we look a bit at what happened recently, and here I would like to take a, a quick uh, exit to the COVID, even though it's not related directly to the regulatory landscape, but COVID has actually done one important thing, and it actually has basically shared uh, with people, or where people share commonly, the need for having social impact. Because we need to care about our society, we need to care about the shops, the bars, the restaurants, that our kids can go to school, that there are basically solutions available for facilitating a social uh, environment in a different way and format. So solutions for that, they are certainly something that can be of interest for investors also going forward. Lastly, uh, I would also like to mention that when we basically take that kind of responsibility serious, this responsibility also turns a bit into what can actually investors expect when they're investing in an ESG or sustainable fashion. And this expectation is very much spurred by, is it just financial return or do I get more? Do I get more value? And this value is not necessarily, as I said, only financial. It also has kind of a societal value. And this is what we are to achieve. But if we take that a bit at, as a starting point, looking at what is an asset manager actually then to expect from the, the business partners the asset manager is working with. And here I actually have selected two main groups. I spur out the, the, the retail demand 
and the retail side, but rather focus on the wholesale distribution and distributors on one hand, whereas also looking a bit at the institutional investors on the other side. And for especially the distributors to start off with them, there will basically be a game changer coming soon. And that is MIFID II, but also on the insurance distribution, obviously the IDB. Why is so? that so? Simply because MIFID II and the delegated acts, to be precisely there, they basically will ask firms, advisors, to integrate the sustainability preference of a client in the way a client is being advised. So it will actually require an active element to check in with the client what is it actually the client wants to achieve, also from a sustainability theme point of view. This leads to certain questions, and firms will ask themselves, and probably have already started about it, at least it would be recommendable that they have started, in terms of what is actually my suitability uh, offering, my value proposition, and that what is it actually that I want to my, my clients, my investors, the ones I'm advising, what is it that they should recognize me for? That's a very essential element. The second thing there is also, how do I basically take into account the client's sustainability preference? Because the sustainability preference of client A is not necessarily the same as client B and client C. So there needs to be a thorough process behind in order to take due account of these varying preferences. And lastly, I would say, it's how do we get the message across? The message in terms of combining return also with a sustainability target is essential also to make our investments and as such also the money from the investors matter from a sustainability point of view. And once all these questions have been discussed and not only discussed but also there have been answers for each and every firm, probably individual answers that have been the result of these discussions, then there will be actually consequences. And some of these consequences I try to summarize when talking about you need to have an operational viable platform. So how on earth will I basically cope with this huge volume of requirements, a huge cultural change management that probably some firms have to take in order to basically not only meet the regulatory requirements but go beyond, be really the one that I want to strive to be. I guess also important there is that the element of human capital shall never be under uh, underestimated at all. Why do I say that? Because the human capital is probably the most important asset of a firm right now, especially when it comes to a topic like this complex regulatory agenda. So if you're having not the right people understanding the regulations, not having the right people to basically take the decisions for you, for your firm, then there can be true challenge. So investing in upskilling people is actually essential. And then actually when we look at it from the, from the very client's end, uh, then actually what do you expect? You are a client, you're going into an advisory session. What do you want? You basically would like to have an advisor in front of you who is actually capable of explaining you the sustainability topics linked and objectives linked to each and every product that he or she is advising you on. So having this kind of upskilling across the entire value chain of a firm's operation is essential. You need to have it from back to front and embedded into your culture. But enough of that, and a lot of this actually is also true for institutional investors, I would like to do, however, a few more points on institutional investors. One of which being actually that institutional investors have now for years been regarded as 
the ESG poster childs. Why? Because they, as role models, have already set themselves years ago, prior to the regulatory agenda, uh, they have set themselves targets. They have set targets which they believe in and which also they are pursuing. They put pressure on asset managers and now with the re uh, regulatory agenda and the increasing uh, fiduciary duty focusing on sustainability, this pressure is probably only meant to accelerate. Where this will lead? Well, we have seen actually from a PwC research paper that they issued last year, 2020, that where they asked a lot of institutional investors, how will it basically look like in terms of two years from now, what is it the products that you're going to invest in? And about 80% have said that in two years time, so 2022, we will only invest in what is considered ESG or sustainable. That is actually something that is important for asset managers. And let's take maybe a quick zoom back on what I said at the beginning when we talked about the crossroads. If asset managers are not aware of that, if asset managers do not take that serious, then basically they might be cut out from getting access to such institutional investors logically over time. But enough of that, and I actually said already that the data challenge is quite a big challenge, and it's not only about getting data, using data, there's probably a bit more. So I tried actually to summarize on my last slide a uh, few uh, four items where I want to explain a bit more in detail as to how I personally also see the different challenges. And one of the things that basically we are starting with is do we basically have a proper governance around our data model? And this data model is not something that you basically have already now or have to have because it's all brand new and there's new data coming to it. But it's a question as to how do you source data, how do you get the data into your data governance model, and how do you interlink traditional quantitative financial data now also with sustainable and ESG-related data. So that's a true challenge to my opinion because it will require not only technical expertise, but it also will require, again, human capital and skilled people to understand, okay, where are the touch points? How do I make ends meet in order to bring all this together? But if we talk a bit further about what is it actually that we can get in terms of data? Quite a lot of firms and investing companies, they are not yet fully there in disclosing how data uh, or ESG data that can be useful for asset managers. We know that on the regulatory agenda, uh, the NFRD is set to come, but basically it is still out there, and only when we have that fully implemented, we will get a more granular picture in terms of data. Nonetheless, data is getting better every day because new metrics are identified, firms already prior to regulatory requirements, also beyond EU, uh, are actually thinking about how can they actually prove their sustainability footprint. So there are elements already to help shaping data. But we also need to uh, remember that data is often a data game which is driven by data providers. And these data providers, they do not do that for free. So it's very important that firms have a clear view on our process, a methodology to screen which data providers are they want to go with which data providers can they actually afford? Again, it's a cost factor at the end. And how can they integrate the data that they get into their processes? That all taken into account, and I touched upon that already briefly, 
I mean, data accuracy, data availability is a challenge. And I repeat again, data availability is getting better. But data accuracy is still a challenge and will take some more time. And this is also something that when designing products again, and coming back to what I said a bit earlier, having the right data for the right product is essential. Quite often, uh, it can be seen that for certain themes or thematic investment products, data is more available than for others, or for certain industry sector, you get better data quality than for others. But this is something that you basically need to take into account when designing your data modeling. And lastly, I would actually like to talk about the monitoring, because when we're working with data and we're getting new data and we're using data, we need to make sure that we basically also have a monitoring. And this monitoring is not only about limit checks or internal control mechanism, it's also about monitoring the market. What kind of new data sets are available? What kind of new methodologies to assess data are available? There is a booming FinTech and RegTech community, not only here in Luxembourg, but overall and globally. And this community is also working with solutions or identifying and defining solutions in order to make the life of all of us when challenging, uh, being challenged uh, by data usage uh, much easier. So with that, I actually would like to pause and actually thank you very much for your time and attention, and I'm looking forward to your questions. Thank you. Hi, and uh, welcome back, everybody, to our office, uh, socially distanced office studios. Um, thank you, Catherine and uh, Michael, for those uh, really insightful presentations. Uh, some great content there, and we have a, a few questions, I think, to get us started. So I'll uh, kick us off through the Q&A, if that's, uh, that's okay. So the first question is, uh, while there's an appreciation of how important this exercise is from an investor perspective. There's always one eye on cost. And so Michael, can you give us a sense of how costly uh, will, this, will this exercise be to be in line with the SFDR? Thank you, Justin. And yes, uh, no doubt that basically this is a costly exercise. It's not only about the, the cost of data I was mentioning uh, earlier in my speech, but it's also the cost of basic setting a new kind of structure. Thinking just about the way and the new uh, elements that are to be introduced into prospectuses, the kits will have to be updated, uh, registrations, filings, you name it, all that will require actually uh, cost to be spent. We're not even talking about uh, then what do you basically have to consider when changing investment processes, uh, changing internal governance models. Data, again, is the big topic here. So no doubt about the fact that it's a costly exercise. The question then, however, is uh, how can asset managers best cope with it? So which are actually the cost areas that you as an individual asset manager would like to address first and foremost and then develop from there? So, so the real cost is not just a, a website update, but the actual change in the, in the business model and, and incorporating sustainability into everything that the firm does. That, that's where the extra sort of challenge and cost could be. Yeah, very much agree. Thank you for that. Um, another question then we had was around 
the UK, obviously our, our friends in the UK, top, top of mind the last few years. And uh, in the post-Brexit environment, Catherine, could you explain to us how the SFDR applies to UK firms? Yeah, we, we of course we, we all have in mind the UK asset manager that are nowadays uh, facing a lot of uh, difficulties to adapt uh, to the fact that they became uh, a third country uh, as per our European legislation. So what I will say is actually the same issue for managers that are, whether they are based in, in London or in Hong Kong, that would be exactly the same situation. Um, basically, the, what is interesting is that the European regulation is defining its scope as per the activities of the entities uh, that are targeted by the regulation. But there is no work basically on whether those entities are located within or outside of the European Union. So then there is uh, room for debate uh, whether this type of regulation should also apply to such country managers. The problem is that in the regulations, there is no clear ex exclusion of those, uh, of those managers. So for the time being, uh, we do not have a clear answer about that. So the ESAS asked uh, the Commission to get clarification. And similarly, when we asked the CSSF in Luxembourg what is uh, its position about this situation, they defer to the response of the, of the Commission to have an harmonized view of that. That being said, I think we should take the view that the objective of this regulation is transparency. So it will be also creating a kind of new norm, uh, as Michael developed during his presentation. Uh, so I think uh, IFM outside uh, European, but having some marketing activities in Europe, definitely have to deal with that regulation to be in the market and not to be excluding themselves from what the investors are looking for in terms of information. And that could apply to firms that are complying with AIFMD and also those firms that are choosing their national private placement uh, route as well, but are marking certainly EU countries outside of AIFMD directly. Yeah, this is what can be expected. Great. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Um, another question just around best practice examples for either Catherine or Michael in terms of are there any examples that we could point to that are sort of best practice disclosure examples when uh, you know clients and, and, uh, and asset managers are looking to, to apply disclosure. Are there any sort of industry best practices established so far? Oh, Catherine, do you want to talk? Else I can take it. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead, please. No, actually there, there is no uh, best practice because actually the topic is quite new for everybody. So uh, let's put it this way. I think that everybody's struggling to define uh, what are the criteria, how to define them, etc. But it is exactly the purpose of the taxonomy regulation to have this harmonized definition. So for the time being, um, indeed, uh, what was the aim of the new regulation was to harmonize and to avoid this greenwashing. Because by using terms that are not defined, it's always possible to give a kind of orientation without being very clear to other investors about what we are really doing. So the taxonomy regulation is already providing a number of um, definitions, especially with the appendixes that have been uh, issued by the Commission. And for this environmental uh, criteria, we will have very precise uh, technical terms, and that's what would be abide. 
But that is about the definition. In terms of best practice and what you should do, I think it's probably a very difficult uh, uh, question to be answered to because obviously, depending on your um, uh, niche sector, on your uh, type of assets that you are targeting, should it be real estate, should it be private equity, should it be venture capitals, should it be new tech in healthcare, in all the, as they are, the sectors that we can imagine where investment funds are active, well, you, you can have different approach and you may be uh, more focusing on environmental issues if you're in real estate and more on social if you're in private equity and or on governance if you're investing in listed stocks. So that's very much depend on what is the specificities of the asset manager, I would say. And the different weights you might give depending on the asset class and your investor perspective, uh, expectations as well. Um, Michael, did you want to add any comment on that as well? from? Your Maybe two quick sentences. Thank you, Justin. Um, I guess important thing to remember is that we are really at the beginning of a journey here when it comes to all these regulations. And sometimes I use the analogy to say that basically regulatory landscape is just about learning to crawl. We are far away from walking or even running. And the SFDI is now really the first piece. We know that basically Alfie has try to put these uh, uh, together in order to, to help pros uh, defining prospectus disclosure, but especially going into the details, depending on which kind of asset class, which kind of investment approach, obviously that remains to be seen. I can uh, quite well imagine that actually after the 10th of March, uh, starting by the 11th of March probably, a lot of asset managers, what they will do is that they will have uh, a lot of their staff uh, looking at, uh, at prospectuses, disclosure websites of peers in order to see, okay, what is he doing, what are they doing, and so on and so forth. Because this is, I guess, the way then how best practice will evolve over time. Obviously, we have now seen with the uh, draft of the RTS that just came out at the beginning of this month. Today is also they are also providing a bit more flesh to the bone. Uh, there are still the supervisory statement that we are all waiting for uh, to come. So uh, still not really final, final, but pretty close, I would say. And all these different kind of pieces, they will at the end uh, then define the best practice. So talking about best practice, wishing to have best practice, that's probably something we can realistically target for having by the end of this year. So the RTS also give a fairly good indication of although draft of where those disclosure standards will, will end up when they are finally reviewed. Great, thank you. Um, a few more questions we have from the, from the audience. The next one is, in terms of grandfathering, question just around those funds that are launched before March 10th of 2021, but are still actively marketing to European investors, do, do we have an expectation that there's any grandfathering in place for those funds who are sort of launched prior to the deadline? Catherine, any views on that? No, there, there is no grandfathering provision uh, in the regulation and there is also no clear guidance on the uh, concept of what is pre-contractual pre disclosure. Because if we just uh, hear that terms, uh, we think, well, if a fund has been created as already raised capital from investors are fully drawdown the commitment, then why would we need to do pre-disclosure contractual information? Uh, that would not make sense. Uh, but at the same time, um, again, the objective of this uh, regulation is to bring transparency and to a certain extent to uh, uh, 
asset manager to become responsible in uh, taking the ESG criteria into consideration and to report about that. So uh, we have the information that have to be disclosed in the PPM, but we also have the information that have to be disclosed on the website of the IFM or the MANPRO, so that this is an ongoing obligation. And in 2022, we will have the reporting obligation about what we have done and how we have measured the impact on the sustainability risk. So I think that there is no room really to avoid the regulation if and if from a, a strict legal perspective, looking at this article 6 and 229, we could say pre-contractual pre disclosure does not make sense when investors are already in. Great, thank you. Thanks for that. Um, next question is just around the ESG factors. So looking at specific ESG factors and the tools to measure those factors and the extent to which managers can pick and choose which factors they want to report on and the data behind it. Now, referring, I guess, to the RTS in draft, uh, Michael, first, do you have a view on the flexibility managers have to choose essentially which factors to, to measure and how to measure them? versus sort of that being quite prescriptive in the legislation. Any views on that? Yeah. Um, let me probably get started with saying that it depends pretty much on the product and it also pretty much depends on the readiness of the asset manager. There's a certain risk that we have in the industry right now that basically there could be firms promoting too much of their capabilities when they are not yet really there. It's also, again, quite a lot of data uh, debate that is behind that. So you need to basically somewhere find the, the balance between what is it actually that I want to promote with, my pro promote with my product? Do I basically have the capabilities? Do I have the investment processes? Do I have the people who basically can run that? And basically, can I then also at the end get the data? Because only if you get all this right, then you can also report on the data. And that's this, this essential element of measurability. At the very beginning now, and with the RTS to come now, I think that we will see quite a quite a variety in terms of approaches and a lot of discretion might be applied uh, if i can say so uh, but i actually expect also especially investors uh, also media and certainly also over time regulators to basically tighten the screws on what basically is expected right now being 100% clear on how you can basically use which kind of sustainability factors, how to report how to disclose uh, it's still pretty much in the hands of the asset managers but I also think that over time, best practice will also develop there. Fantastic. Um, on, the, on the sort of other side of the coin, um, Catherine, we see some clients and, and contacts saying, you know, we appreciate this is a new legislation. What happens if we don't comply? What are the consequences if we, if we don't comply with the new regulation to yeah. the SFDR? Yeah, that's a very good question because indeed, uh, if we take the risk, the risk approach that we should have in an asset management, we say, okay, we don't comply, what is the risk? Uh, and actually, uh, what is interesting uh, is that there is no sanction. So if you look at the regulation, should it be the taxonomy regulation or should it be the SFDR regulation? There is no sanction. And it makes sense because this is, again, uh, a regulation that is coming from uh, the European Union level that is applicable directly into each uh, member state. So basically there is no specific sanction that could have been adopted at the national level while implementing a directive, for instance. 
So we don't have a sanction, but does it mean that we can just simply ignore this regulation? I don't think so. Uh, first, you will have an indirect control for all the firms that are regulated. Uh, so all the firms that are subject to an authorization by a supervisory authority uh, uh, in, in European Union, they will certainly not be approved by the regulator uh, if they do not have those disclosure requirements in them. Similarly, IFM, uh, they have to demonstrate that they are compliant with legislation all time, and they will be controlled the same way by their supervisory authority. So if they don't comply, if they don't update their website on this, then certainly there will be some uh, uh, nice letter from the regulator saying um, there's something wrong here, you need to, to update your, your uh, website, you need to make sure that the fund has PPMs that are in line with SFDR regulation. So there is no direct sanction, but the indirect sanction from the regulator, the supervisory authority shall be there. And I guess as well that institutional investors that have their own uh, ESG policy will also uh, have a, a, a negative view on uh, any asset manager with, which will not uh, comply with its regulation. Justin, could I just add one, two sentences, please? please? Uh, I very much agree with you, Catherine, uh, on the regulatory sanction, but I guess the sanction will, ha will happen and it will start happening actually shortly. But the sanction will not come from the regulatory end, but it will actually come from the client side. So is it basically a viable or sustainable business model not to take actually proper disclosure on sustainability matters into account? Uh, I personally don't think so. I think actually the trend and the figures I was mentioning in the presentation, they speak a clear language. So this is the, uh, the way uh, we are all uh, uh, heading to. And if you don't basically play ball or comply at the end, I guess over time you will simply be deselected and it will be very tough for uh, a large number of players to basically uh, deny the facts, uh, don't be compliant, but still have a viable business model for the next 10, 15, 20 years, maybe. Great, and uh, I think just time for the last question um, from the audience. We um, noticed that the taxonomy focuses much more on the E of ESG. Um, as you look at the RTS and evolving standards, to what extent do we think they'll evolve more into the S and the G factors. Uh, perhaps Michael and Catherine could each comment on, uh, on that, please. Uh, on that side, uh, I must admit that I don't have clear view uh, of when uh, we should expect uh, um, more guidance on these elements. Um, I, at this level, we can refer to the uh, UN SDG, uh, where there is already a number of criteria for social and governance. Uh, criteria that are displayed, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the text that have been uh, adopted by the United Nations. So I think this is where we could already find uh, a certain level of information of what we could uh, expect. Um, and also, uh, there are professional associations that are working on such uh, best, certain best practice uh, in that area. So for governance, uh, for those that are active in the real estate fund industry, uh, we are all very familiar with the INREV guidelines, which provide governance rules to be uh, uh, complied with if we want to state in our documentation that we are complying with the uh, best practice of the, uh, of the INREV, of, of this uh, industry. So I guess that uh, this is something that will come very soon. Uh, and we already have it on the private side and it will certainly come from the uh, authorities as well.
I very much agree to what you say here, Catherine. Uh, we basically need to realize that on the S side, asset managers have much more discretion. There's not something like a taxonomy yet, even though obviously what you hear is that there is the need is identified for having a social taxonomy on top. So that I, I firmly believe is to come. Uh, but using the discretion right now, the SDGs are the obvious uh, route to follow. But I guess one important element is also the fact that uh, it doesn't have to stop there. So there's also a certain uh, degree of discretion to define your own sustainability objectives and own kind of ways to measure uh, and report in a transparent manner on how you uh, achieve uh, sustainable investments. The question is, however, long term, will that be uh, actually accepted by the market? SDGs, they are there. No doubt taxonomy is accepted. Social taxonomy will be as well. But everything that goes beyond probably will have to pass the client acceptance test in order to be, for over the period, be a viable solution. It's, as you've highlighted, it's, it's early days in terms of the ESG journey. And so, you know, is it mature? Or is the disclosure mature? And investors uh, get comfortable around that. We'll be able to be able to see how that how that evolves. But obviously, at the moment, there, there's enough guidance out there between the different bodies to get started. To, to meet the deadline, which looks like a fairly firm deadline on uh, the 10th of March for the, for the SFDR at least, and I guess monitor the, the RTS as they get published and and uh, and start start what is the first step first step for many in terms of a, a a real ESG journey where there's been quite a lot of discussion in the industry for some time. Now is the time for for action. Uh, I think that's it for our session today. I just wanted to, on behalf of the audience, thank Michael and Catherine uh, so much for contributing your expertise uh, today. Really insightful great content and uh, I appreciate everybody uh, taking the time to join us today to the audience and uh, thank you for thank you for joining us thank you thank very you much, very much.